listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. The word's going to go out, but it's your responsibility to prepare your heart. And I pray that you would just pray that your heart would be open to receive God's word for your life. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today that your word is truth. Your word is life. And we pray today that your word would touch each and every one of our hearts, change us, transform us, renew us, we pray. We'll give you all the praise. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Come on, shout amen. Come on, high five three people around you and say, you better be telling people about God. Come on, you better be telling people about Jesus. You better be telling someone about Jesus. What a great series we are on. We were in it last month. We're going to continue it up till Easter weekend, talking about the Christian atheist. And I pray it's been challenging to you in your position. Are you a Christian or are you a Christian atheist? What needs to change? What needs to take place in your life? Because the Christian atheist is the person who says, I believe in God, but yet lives as though God doesn't exist. I want to say that again. He believes or she believes in God, but yet lives as though God doesn't exist. Titus 1.16. Can you mute that electric guitar, please, for us? Titus 1.16, the NIV version says this. They claim to know God, but by their actions, the way they live, they deny Him. The Bible says they are detestable disobedient and unfit for doing anything good. We claim to know God, but by our actions, we don't show forth God to other people, the Christian atheist. And today we're going to talk about this. Do I share my faith? Do I tell other people about this life change that's happened? Am I a godly witness to those around? Am I letting my light shine or am I hiding under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Come on, who remembers that song from Sunday school? This little light of mine, don't let Satan it out. Come on, that will wake you up. I'm going to let it shine. Come on, are we letting the light of God shine in our lives? And I believe this is a pressing situation. It's a pressing message for this reason, not just because of the opportunity of Easter just around the corner and the great chance that we have to invite other people. But I believe this is a very pressing subject because time is running short. It's a whole other message, but let me say this in a nutshell. Everything scripturally has been fulfilled and taken place for the rapture of the church to happen. The only thing we're waiting on right now is for God to say, go get them, boys. Come on. Everything is laying in place. We are living in grace. 
So we must seize the opportunity. There are too many people who are still lost. You and I must be a walking, talking billboard for Christ and your church. I want to share this story with you today and maybe you've had a similar situation and hopefully this will help you to avoid a similar situation. A pastor writes these words. He says, years ago I received a call from one of our church members explaining that her dad, Frank, was close to death. He had occasionally attended our church with his daughter, but he did not believe in Christ and he was skeptical of all pastors. His concerned daughter asked if I would visit him in the hospital to explain the gospel to her dad, who would have a final chance to know Christ before he died. Hospital visits have always made me uncomfortable. Some pastors seem to do it naturally and know what to say, but not me. I remember walking down the long hall and I glanced into each room as I passed, wondering about each person. Some would recover and go home to live normal lives, while others would leave, never leave this building. When I reached Frank's room, I walked nervously in. His skin color looked deathly yellow as he lay on his bed. Even if God performed a miracle, Frank, at the age of 82, didn't have many years left to live. When he heard me enter the room, Frank stirred and seemed glad for a visitor, even if this visitor was a pastor. And not wanting to come across like a typical fire and brimstone preacher, I kept the conversation light. The whole time we talked, I looked for the opportunity and the moment to shift the conversation towards spiritual issues. We talked about his favorite football team. Frank loved the Redskins and he hated the Dallas Cowboys. No apparent transition there to the gospel. He then went on to tell me about his grandson who played for the varsity baseball team as a sophomore. No easy way to jump from baseball to Jesus. We chatted about the unseasonally hot weather. I considered mentioning to him the heat of hell, but then I thought better of it. The perfect moment to transition the conversation to a spiritual issue never came. So I decided I'm not going to force it. I'll just wait. I'll develop a better friendship and a relationship with him. And I'll come back tomorrow and we can talk all about Christ and I can lead him to the Lord. The following morning as I walked down that same hallway, when I turned the corner to enter his room, I couldn't see Frank because... The room was packed with people. Instantly, I realized what had just happened. Moments before I arrived, Frank had died and all of his family had gathered to say their goodbyes. Standing outside the room, I could barely breathe. Frank's body may still have been warm, but my body and my heart felt suddenly cold with the grave disappointment I had within myself. No one saw me. So I quickly turned away and walked back to my car, ashamed that I had missed a chance to impact that man's life for eternity. I truly believe, the pastor writes, Christ is the only door through which anyone can enter heaven. But that day I failed to share with him, and that day he died lost. Maybe your story is not a hospital room with a patient laying in a bed. But maybe it's Walmart. 
And that lady or that gentleman who is at the register who is checking you out. Or maybe it's the office, that person you share a cubicle with or the person in the cubicle next to you. It could be the ballpark where for hours you sit making idle conversation with parents and friends really about nothing. Or the gym, every day you see that same lady, you see that same man, but yet, but yet, but yet, we still say nothing about Christ. Here's the reality, are you ready? There are opportunities everywhere. Opportunities are everywhere, but seldom are they taken. We pray, God, give me an opportunity, and we have them all around us every day, but yet we don't share the gospel with other people. I began to ask the question, well, why is that? Why do we hesitate? Why do we not share the gospel? I came up with five reasons, and there are many more. But I want to share with you perhaps the top five reasons why a lot of people don't share the gospel with other people. The first reason is this. We don't want to be too pushy. We don't want to come across as being super spiritual, that holy roller. We just want to play it easy. We just want to play it cool. Not too radical because we're just going to turn people off. Because let's be honest, a lot of people have a bad impression. They have a bad view and they've had a bad experience of Christ. For what reason? Because of Christian atheists. Because of people who should know better should do better, but yet they don't. And as a result, God gets the rap. I don't want to be a Christian because if that's what following Christ means, I don't want to be a part of that in our lives. And so we, we see all this, we know all this, and we don't want to be labeled as one of those people that cause more problems than harm. So we don't want to force ourselves. We don't want to almost say anything because we don't want to come across in the wrong way. Look at the very word itself, evangelism. It comes from a Greek word called evangelizo. Evangelizo. Can you turn me down? I'm ringing, please. Which means to proclaim or to share the good news. God has called you and I to share and proclaim the good news of Him. That's what God has called us. That's what evangelism is. But yet we're so worried. Oh, I don't want to be pushy. So we say nothing. We remain silent. And we see this in the early church. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, it says, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. They went, they didn't care who they were telling. They didn't care what they were telling. They were just going out there and saying, hey, let me tell you something. God is real. Christianity is true. God's changed my life. And what happened? So many people were saved as a result of people who were just living the life, spreading the gospel. That word gospel comes from an old English word that is literally God spell is the word. God spell. And God with a long O there means good. So what? It means a good word. So it's a good word or good news of Christ, the gospel. We have the good news, but yet, I don't know. I don't want to come across too pushy. I don't want to tell someone. I don't want to run the risk. So I don't say anything. Here's a second reason. Are you ready? We're afraid of, of what their response may be to it. 
Well, if I do share, what if they, if they say, I don't want to listen to that. What, what if, if they ask me questions? Have you ever thought that? What if they ask me questions? I mean, I don't know all the answers. If they ask me, what's that chapter and verse? What are you talking about? Oh man, there's no way I can share the gospel because how are they going to respond to it? You see, the response of people is going to be varied. Non-believers' responses, they're going to have some skepticism. They're going to be skeptical of the Word of God. There may be some resentment. There may be some fear. There may be some anger, even with Christians. And you start talking to them about God and what He can still do in their lives. There can be fear and guilt that they still have. And so their response can be negative. So many Christian atheists don't want to share their faith because of the strong emotions associated with it. So we don't. Here's the third reason, because we don't know what to say. We don't know what to say. What do I say? I don't want to look a fool. What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Here's the answer to that. Are you ready? If they ask you a question you don't know the answer to, find out the answer. <laughs> Pick up the Bible and read. Find out the answer. Google it if you want to. You may be surprised how many answers you can find even biblically on Google. But watch where you're researching and watch where you're looking. Come to one of us, your pastors, sit down and say, hey, this person's really asked me a great question. Text us. I get people text me quite a lot and say, Pastor, I don't understand this scripture. Someone said this. What can I say? How can I come back? Help me. But never underestimate this too. Ask God to tell you what to say. Because the Bible says that he will give you the words to say. That you can stand in amazement like, man, I never even knew I knew that. And all of a sudden, wow, where did that come from? You're like, man, that was good. Who said that? that well, that was me. Where did that come from? But a lot of times we can be so worried that we don't know what to say. We don't know the chapters. We don't know the verses. Maybe some of us don't even know the names of the books of the Bible. It's okay. Yeah. It's okay. Amen. You know, one of the greatest things that you can say is your testimony. Yeah. Your testimony. We're going to come back to that later and explain that. Here's another reason why people don't want to share the gospel. Number four, they don't want to be rejected. They don't want to be rejected. They don't want to be shut down, laughed at. You know, everyone else is invited out for the office lunch, but now don't leave leave spiritual crazy person at home. We don't want them to come with us. We can feel rejected. We can worry about being rejected. And this can be a very big one. And what's always helped me when I look at rejection is this. To consider the fact they're not rejecting me, but they're rejecting the message I bring. And so when you begin to realize that, it's not really an attack against you. They just don't like what you're saying. So don't take it personal. Don't take it to heart. Still pray for them and believe God, but don't let it silence your voice. Because when we feel rejected and we act like, oh, I'm rejected, then we'll shut down from anyone and everyone else around us. Not good. Here's another reason why a lot of people... Don't share the gospel because they are too into themselves. Come on, we're too into ourselves. What do I mean by that? Well, I'm just going through a lot right now, Pastor. I just lost my job. I'm sick right now. I'm just not feeling good. I was just dumped by my boyfriend. We can be so caught up with all our circumstances and situations that we fail to realize they're temporary situations, but eternity is permanent. It's a permanent thing. 
And we can get so caught up in ourselves, not only in the pain, but we can get so caught up in ourselves in the success. Well, I just don't have time because I've got to do this and I've got to do that because I need to be successful. How many people are we missing each and every day? Why? Because we're so into ourselves and what we want to do. Instead of having time and making ourselves available for other people. There's many other reasons, and you probably could come up with many more, that will stop us from sharing our faith. But the reality is this. If we are silenced, then the truth about Christ cannot get out to this world. If we are not sharing our faith, the truth about who Christ is will not be heard by those around us. Research shows this, that three out of four people believe in the heaven. Over 75% believe that there's a heaven, which is great. But then you look at the other side, hell, less than two out of four, so less than 50% of people believe in a hell. More people believe in heaven, less people believe in hell. And here's the ramifications of that. If less people believe in hell or if people have convinced themselves that hell does not exist, it makes it so easy for an unbeliever to easily reject Christ with no fear of God because there's nothing anyway. There's only a heaven. So there is no hell. You see how the world wants us to see that there's a heaven more than there is a hell. Because it wants us then to reject. And then as believers, we can look and say, well, if no one's believing in a hell, guess what? Then I'm unmotivated to share my faith with them because they don't believe it anyway. But what we've got to realize as children of God is this. Opinion polls don't determine reality. That doesn't determine the truth. God created this heaven or God created this universe, rather, with a heaven and a hell. A heaven and a hell. And I think this can be another leading contributor or reason of why we don't share our faith. Why? Because we have a little understanding about hell and we have a little understanding about heaven, which are both real. We teach and believe that there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. There's a heaven is the reward and the prize for those who live for God. Hell is a place of punishment and judgment and damnation. I want to look real quickly, if I could, at both hell and heaven today. The scriptures say in Matthew 5, verse 29, reading from the New Living Translation, talking of hell, it says this, So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Picture this. Jesus is talking about lust and adultery. And he's talking about even if you look at someone. But look at the point he makes. He says, it would be better for you to gouge out your eye than it would be to go to hell. I don't know about you, but I don't fancy gouging out my eye. I couldn't even begin to imagine the pain that that would cause physically on my life. But Jesus said that's just a snapshot of the beginning of the pain of what there's going to be in hell. You couldn't even imagine doing that to yourself, but yet we can imagine people living in hell and not understanding the importance of it. 
Revelations 4, 10 and 11 says these words, We must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured out full strength into God's cup of wrath. Talking about the end times, the judgment of Christ. And then it goes on to paint a picture of hell. It says they will be tormented with a fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. What does that mean? It means that God, His presence, His Spirit is there, but yet people can reject Even in the presence of God, people can reject. Even today, you can still reject. Even with God being here. And it goes on to say, And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. And they will have no relief, day or night. The suffering, the pain, the torment is beyond description. A place that God never prepared and made for man. A fiery furnace, burning sulfur, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth, the Bible says. And it's easy to joke about hell until you realize the reality of it. Because I've heard people say this to me. Oh, I'm going to have a lot of company when I go there. It's going to be a big party down there in hell. We're going to bust hell's gates wide open. And we couldn't be further from the truth. Because hell is a place of separation from God and a place of separation from people. You think about the worst prisoners today. What is the way that they punish the worst prisoners today? They put them in what? Solitary confinement. Because they know the worst punishment that anyone could be is being alone in solitary, having no one around you. That's what hell's going to be like. The torment, the pain, constantly happening with no rest. And I believe the greatest pain of hell is not going to be the physical. I believe it's going to be the mental. I believe the greatest pain of hell is going to be the memories that people have that they remember sitting in a church service on April the 2nd, 2017. They heard the message that went out. They remembered their grandmother. They remembered their mother. They remembered that preacher on the corner. And what did they do? They laughed and ridiculed and said, hey, life's a joke. Life's a game. I'm just going to live it up. You imagine never being able to escape those memories. Always being constantly plagued by those. The what-ifs of life. Hell is a real, horrific, terrible, beyond descriptive place. But then there's heaven. Thank God there's a heaven because I don't want to go to that type of hell. Amen. But so many of us don't want to go to heaven either, at least now, because we want to postpone eternity because we don't understand what heaven is like. For many people, they think heaven is just a long church service. Well, we're just going to be singing and we're just going to be dancing and we're just going to be, wow, that's going to be kind of boring. We're going to be having harps in the clouds, man. Not much happening, nothing really to do in heaven. Psalms 84 verse 10 says this. David writes these words. He says, a single day in your courts, a single day in your presence is better than a thousand anywhere else. The King James Version says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. David is really talking about church. He's not even talking about heaven. He's saying just being in church is better than anything that you could ever imagine. So think if church is better, how much better is heaven going to be? Come on, picture the greatest place that you could ever imagine to go to. 
Recall the greatest moment of your life. Maybe it was your wedding day. Maybe it was when your child was born. But the psalmist said this, the greatest day, the greatest moment, the greatest experience of my life is nothing, nothing in comparison to just one moment with God. One moment in heaven is greater than a lifetime of what we can concoct and come up with in our minds of what is great and awesome. Revelations 21 and verse 4 says this, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. There shall be no more sorrow. There will be no more crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Picture life with no sin, with no sickness, no death, no mourning, no pain. But with God forever. Wow, I wish I had more time. But even, even if we had more time, we still couldn't do heaven the justice to describe and to present to you everything it is. Hell and heaven. And maybe you believe in both today. But the way you live your life doesn't reflect the urgency of your claimed beliefs. Because if eternity was at the front of your mind, you would pray a whole lot more for those who are distant from God. If heaven was at the front of your mind and hell was at the front of your mind, if eternity was at the front of your mind, you would share your faith probably daily with those around you. You would look to serve other people. You wouldn't worry about accumulating all worthless things and stuff that really is not going to amount to anything. You would look for realizing your life's mission is to go out and help change as many people as possible. You see, our responsibility as Christians is to help people to come to the reality or to the terms of what is reality for them to see what is real. Are we living as lights in darkness? When is the last time you couldn't sleep because you were so burdened for someone who's away from God? I love the line of that song, break my heart for what breaks yours. How many people have you told about Christ lately? How many people have you brought to church to hear the gospel? When's the last time you hung out with non-Christians? Because if all we are is hanging out with other Christians, we're fishing in an aquarium. We're not reaching other people. Now be careful. Be careful. Someone once called me up and said, Pastor, uh, I don't know how far we've got some unchristian friends. Should we hang out with them? What should we do? How far? And I said, listen, here's a good rule of thumb. If it's affecting your testimony, then you're going too far. You can hang out with people who are not saved and not affect your testimony. Have them around your house. Have them come to church with you and go out and eat lunch. You have it on your terms, on your ground. But the moment you begin to test it or you find your testimony becoming compromised, that's where you've got to be careful. But think about that in our lives. If you and I really believed in heaven and hell and we were sincerely cared about other people, our actions and the way we talk to other people would be completely transformed. We would look to share our faith that we would realize that person that's beside me that doesn't know God is going to a horrific place that description cannot even begin to imagine. And I'm going to let them go. I'm going to let them go. They're going to go down on my watch. 
I'm not trying to place a guilt trip on you today. And sorry if you feel that way. But what my message and my mission is today is this, to remind you of what God has called you to be. God's called you to be the light in darkness. God's called you to be the witness. God's called you to be the one that presents your life in front of theirs as a signpost pointing to truth and life. Don't be a Christian atheist who believes in God but is unwilling to share your faith with other people. The Bible tells us how will they know unless the pastor tells them no. That's part of it. The Bible says how will they know unless we, you, me, each and every one of us tells them because there's worlds that I will never intersect with. Every one of us lives in a different world. We have our different friends and different people around. There may be some intersection with our worlds, but we live in a different world. And look at this. Stop waiting for God to send someone when He has sent someone. You. Well, I'm just waiting for God to send someone. to. God's already sent someone. You. Oh, pastor, I just don't like my work. A bunch of heathens there. It's just so dark there. Well, praise God. The darker the night, the brighter the light shines. Stop waiting. Oh, pastor, if only you were there. I know you could help me. Listen, God has sent the right person. You're right there. And there is a challenge today because many people believe heaven is the default location. You don't know how many places and opportunities I've had in in, in doing funerals. You know, everyone wants to stand up and say, oh, they were a good person and we're going to see you in heaven one day. Because we think that's the default destination. People are good. That's where they're going to go. But the opposite is true. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And that's the place where most people are traveling on. But verse 14, narrow is the gate, straight and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few that find it. The Bible says, enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. We're the only ones that stand between them and eternity. You're the only one that stands between them and And eternity, I believe it was Benny Hinn once in a vision, in a dream one night, he was taken to a big hole in the ground. And when he went to the hole in the ground, he realized it was hell. He saw the smoke, he saw the fire, he smelt the smell, how horrific it was. And he recalls in his dream or vision that he saw a line of people stretching as far as the eye could see. And they were marching one after the other and just dropping into that pit of hell, one after the other, one after the other. And he's standing there with an angel that's showing him. And he's saying to the angel, why is no one telling them? Why is no one warning them? Do your job. Tell them. Come on, tell them. And the angel turned around and said, that's not my job. That's your job. That's what I've called you to do. That's where I have placed you to be what? The difference may be in someone's eternity. I want to quickly today show you how you can share your faith. Because we can come up with excuses all we want. But I want to give you five great ways. For every excuse, we're going to give you a great practical way that you can share your faith with other people. Point number one, always be ready. Always be ready. Live 
the life for Christ. You've got your wristband witness. I mean, be ready. If someone says, Jesus is what? You're like, um, I don't know. No, be ready. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my savior. Be ready. Rehearse opportunities of talking to people. It may not present itself exactly how you think it should, but be ready. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3, 15, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for the reason of your hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Notice that. Always be ready to give a defense. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, another translation says, always be ready to explain it. Prepare, study. When we prepare and study, if you've ever been in school, you know you have a confidence to take a test when you're ready for it. When you're not ready for it, you're like, man, I'm freaked out about the test. Didn't study. It's not good. When you studied, you're like, bring it on. I'm ready to go. Come on. It's awful, isn't it? When you're in a class and you're taking a test and the people who are studying and prepared leave 30 minutes before you do. And you're like, man, what's up with that? I'm halfway through and not even struggling with that. And they're gone. There's a confidence. There's something that happens when we're prepared and ready. Every day, prepare yourself and say, today, God, I'm going to share the gospel with someone. Be prayed up. Be ready every day to say, God, lead me to the right people. Help me to seize the opportunities, the God moments that we have all around us. But listen to me. Help us not just to look for that God moment, but realize that every moment is a God moment. I'm going to say something and don't get me wrong. Are you ready? Jesus touched more people by accident than he did on purpose. What do you mean by that? Everything Jesus did was with purpose. Yes, it was. But notice when he fed 5,000 men, plus women and children, with five loaves and two fishes. He didn't just feed the people who wanted to be fed that day. He fed the religious leaders who were out looking to destroy him that day. You see, he touched people on accident. What am I talking about? We need to live a life that is touching people on accident. I may be on aisle two talking to Pete about God, but on aisle three or aisle four, come on, someone's hearing me. And by accident, I don't even know I'm reaching them and touching them. That's the kind of life that I need to live. Yes, I'm going after that one. Yes, I'm seizing that opportunity. But realize and don't just limit yourself by that. Realize it's a lot further reaching and broader than you could ever imagine in your life. Because people today are hungry. They're crying out to hear the truth from an honest and caring heart. Here's another one. You ready? Point number two, invite someone to church. Everyone can do that. Invite someone to church. Easter is coming up. Seize the moment. It's a great opportunity. All my kids, you need to be in house. We're going to have family picture day. We're going to get a free picture at church. You need to be here. Seize the moment to invite people. There's a story in the Bible of a lady at the well. And Jesus meets this lady. He shouldn't have even talked to her. But he did. He treated her differently. As a result of him treating her differently, she was shocked. Jesus takes the conversation about water. Give me a drink, he asked her. He takes the conversation from water to a living water, which he promises her, knowing everything about her, the sin of her life. Go and find your husband. I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You've already had five, and the one you're shacked up with now ain't your husband. 
But yet Jesus, knowing everything of her, still loved her. But notice the end of the story, John 4, 28 through 30. The woman left her water pot and she went her way into the city and said to the men, those around, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. Notice this lady. She doesn't know the scriptures. She doesn't have the chapters. She doesn't have the verse. She's not even sure how to defend her faith. She maybe doesn't even realize what has happened to her. But you know what? She could what? She could still invite her friends to come and experience Jesus. Amen? She could still invite them to come. And the end of the story says in John 4 verse 39, And many of the Samaritans, those who came of that city, believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me everything that I did. Come on, you can invite people to church. You can bring them along so they can experience God. A simple invitation can change their life forever. Here's the third way we can share. Is we can share our testimony. We can share our testimony. We talked about this earlier. Jesus meets a blind man. Jesus heals a blind man. The religious leaders of that day came around and said, man, I don't know what happened here, but see that Jesus guy? He's a sinner. They're talking to that young man and they're saying, we don't like Jesus. He's a sinner. What he does is wrong. And I love the testimony of that young man. Look what he says to those around in John 9 verse 25. And he answered and said unto them, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know is this. Once I was blind, but now I see. I I don't know your experience and what you've had to do with, but the experience I've had has changed my life because I was this way and now I am that way. People can argue denominations. People can argue, come on, translations. People can argue scriptures left and right, but they can't steal from you your experience. That's your testimony. Share your testimony with other people. That man's experience was all he needed to know truth. I don't know it all, but I know this. I'm changed. I'm not the same person I was. And the only one that I can give credit to for that is Jesus. Share your testimony with other people. Get ready to tell people. Let me tell you a story. Come on, let me tell you a story. I was the worst of the worst. I know where you're at because I was exactly... In fact, I was worse than you. Share your story with other people. Write it out. I really encourage you, write out your testimony. Get it down to about 120, 140 words. Be ready to share your testimony. Be ready to drop it in. But remember this, your testimony is not all about the sin. We talk about the past, but then we talk about Jesus. And then we talk about what he's done in our lives. Balance it out. Come on. Some people talk about how bad they were for three hours. And oh yeah, Jesus came. Well, what's happened? Oh, just Jesus came. Come on. We're not there to compare notes of how bad we are. We're there to show that we are bad. But guess what? He's badder. Amen. He's greater. He's mightier. We're testifying to Jesus and the changed life. Look for ways to drop in your testimony. Man, you can do it every day. Someone can come in and say, man, I was watching a great movie. uh, And and, and, wow, it was great this weekend. What did you do? Well, you know what? I'm glad you saw a great movie. I meant to go and see that. But you know what? I just wasn't able to do that this week. But in church, guess what? God changed my life. And God did. You can use circumstances and situations to drop your testimony in. 
Drop your testimony in. Number four, the fourth way. You can give your life away. These are practical, easy things that we can all do. You may be sitting here today under the sound of my voice and saying, Pastor, I'm not good with words. That's okay. Show Christ. Show Christ by your actions. In Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 36, it talks of this. It says that there was a lady, a certain disciple named Tabitha, who was translated Dorcas. This woman, catch this. The Bible says was full of good works and charitable deeds, what she did. How awesome would that be for the Bible to say that you were always doing good? Always doing good. This lady dies and they come to the apostles, and say, what's up with that? And they raise her up, or she's sick, and they raise her up. There's a miracle that takes place. Why? Because we want her to be healed. We want her to be well, because she's a good person. She's always doing good. I think there's too many words that have been spoken with so little action to back it up. Come on, I said, I believe there's too many words that have been spoken with too little action to back it up. Today, when you came into this church, you should have received a card. If you didn't receive one when you came in, I've got another. If you didn't receive one when you came in, you'll receive one on your way out and take as many as you want. Because on the front of this card, it says, from our heart to yours, with the hope of showing you his. And on the back, there's a special invite to church and for Easter. Here's what I want us to do. We're going to give our lives away this week. We're going to look to do acts of kindness. We're going to, how, how can I show someone Jesus? How about in the coffee shop, just turn around to the person beside you and say, let me buy you a coffee. And can I just give you this? I'd love to invite you to our church. At the McDonald's line, when you're there, just pay for someone's food behind you and say, could you just give them this card? Look for ways, a first responder. Take them out for lunch. Give them some money. Say, can I bless you? Hey, there's great ways. Rent, just go and rent a red box for no other reason apart from filling these and stick them in the red box and put it back in there. So when someone rents a movie, there's an invite for Easter. I mean, look for ways with your family and friends just to show an act of kindness. Give your life away to someone in the next couple of weeks. Because someone, if you just go up to them and say, I'm not going to come to church, but you can say to them, hey, let me buy lunch for you. Hey, I'd love to invite you to church. There's just something powerful about that. And I just really believe that we can use these cards so effectively to change so many people's lives. Look for a way. Be creative. Come up with ways that you can pay it forward to other people, that you can touch those around, because that's the gospel at work. So why not let the world know who we are by what we done, by what we do? Here's a great statement for you. You ready? Have you ever heard a light bulb talk? Light bulb doesn't talk, but what does it do? It shines. Everyone knows what it is because it does its job. Come on, if you do your job, people are going to know you're a Christian. Show people, show people, show people. And last but not least, sometimes you've got to be bold with the truth. Sometimes you've got to be bold with the truth. At at times you've got to get in people's face and boldly confront them with the truth. You earn the right to do that, I believe, ETR. Earn the right, share life with people. Don't just get in their face and they're like, get out of my face. Show them that you care first. Take time. To invest in them. Look at Peter on the day of Pentecost. Here's the one who denied Christ, but days, moments later, he's standing and boldly preaching and proclaiming. In Acts, 20, Acts 2, verse 
38, Peter says these words, repent and be baptized. And verse 40 says, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. In other words, the type of preaching Peter was doing was really in their face. You're perverse, you're going wrong, you need to repent, you're a sinner, you need to get it right. But yet that day, the Bible says 3,000 people were added to the church. I believe you and I need to look for opportunities to lovingly confront. To lovingly confront. Because there are some people that God's going to place in our way that we need to just challenge them and say, hold on a second. What you're doing is wrong. And God has placed me in your life to help you. I'm no better than you. But I know what it is to be saved and changed. And the same God that forgave me because I needed a lot of forgiving is the same God that wants to forgive you. We need to confront those things. And the key to it all is this. We've got to be available for God to use us. We've got to allow His Holy Spirit to lead us so we can share with people the greatest gift of all. What is the greatest gift of all? Eternal life through Christ. Eternal life through Christ. And we all have a vital part to play. And the reason why it's vital is because someone may die and go to hell without you. I remember many years ago, as I closed, driving in my car. I believe it was with Hannah. It was one of my girls. I believe it was Hannah. And Hannah asked me a question one day. She says, Dad, how many people do you think you've led to Christ? It was at that time that I was working at Jimmy Swaggart Ministries. I had a radio show every Thursday night. We were going out Average of about 10,000 people were listening to our youth services on a Thursday night. We had such a broad impact of people that we didn't even know. It wasn't just the faces and people in front of us. We were touching people all over this nation and world. And she said, Dad, how many people do you think you've reached? Can I tell you right now, pride stepped in first. And pride wanted to start figuring out the numbers. And I thought maybe hundreds of thousands of people at least tens of thousands of people. And I was about to open my mouth and say a number. And then inside I was so convicted and with tears beginning to run down my face, I turned to Hannah and I said these words, not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Even if I've won 10 million people to Christ, there's 10 million and one. It's still not enough. Because there's still someone out there. What does the world say? Make your life count for something. I want to twist that. Make your life count for someone. Not something. Make your life count for someone. Who's that someone that you can invite? Who's that someone that you can bring? Who's that someone that God can use you to change their life? Because a Christian shares their faith. A Christian atheist is ashamed of their faith. Would you stand to your feet all over this place today? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. 
If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.